This is the word of the Lord. Please give it your full attention. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. The last time that we gathered to consider the book of Genesis, we were confronted with difficult language. If you remember Genesis chapter six and verse six, the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens. For I am sorry that I have made them. In these difficult passages, we learn that there is a distinction between the creator and the creature. That there is that God is other than his creation. We learn that when we study the Bible, we must always uphold this principle, especially when we are confronted with difficult passages like Genesis chapter 6 and verse 6. Brothers and sisters, we must understand that passages that tell us about God's being and God's nature take priority over passages that describe God's action. Passages that tell us that God is not a man. Or God is not like a man. Take control and take priority over those passages that describe God with creaturely descriptions. Such as being physical or emotional. Uh, Brother John, Pastor John, could you turn the monitors off please, brother? And why is this so? Because scripture is upholding the distinction between the creator and his creation. This is what we call proper hermeneutics. We learn that God is impassable. We are a subject to changes of emotion. We are subject to, to hurting. We are subject to hurting when others hurt. We are subject to experiencing a wide range of emotions. We, brothers and sisters, we are passable. But God is not like us. God is impassable. God does not experience emotional changes either with from within or affected by his relationship to his creation. Our confession, second chapter, paragraph one, the Lord, our God is but one living and true God whose subsistence and of him is and of himself infinite in being and perfection, whose essence cannot be comprehended by any but himself, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts, without body parts or passion. So then, when God's word communicates things to us like repentance, regret, we are not to assume that it is in the same way that we repent or that we regret, but rather God is accommodating himself to us. God is speaking our language in ways that we can understand. And yet we fail to understand. We must never place ourselves on the same level as God. God's essential glory and infinite perfection are too much for his creatures to comprehend. As has been said so many times, we can we cannot wrap our arms around the great tree that is God. But we can apprehend him truly. We can place our hands on the tree and know it truly. 
We cannot fathom that God is not limited by time. Can you? We cannot fathom that God is eternal. Can we? We cannot fathom that he has created time and yet transcends time. Everything that God has done, is doing, and will do in time is the fulfillment of the or the outworking of God's single decree. God's decree is simple, just as God is simple. God's decree has one cause, as I said last week, with, an, with unfathomable multitude, multitude of effects. So then, if we ascribe things like emotion to God, or reactions like repenting, relenting, regretting, or even being provoked to wrath, we must not understand those states, those as states of being, being brought about by God, as, as being successive existences of God, that God is, is going through changes of emotions like we do. Rather, they are the outworking of his eternal and singular decree. God's single decree for his creation has outworkings that are far beyond our comprehension. So then we learned last week, what was the point of the text? The point of the text is this. God is holy. And because God is holy, he will not tolerate sin. Because God is holy, he will not allow sin to continue to, to go on without it being punished. The judgment of God upon man is the outworking of his justice in time and space. The point of the text is that not that God has changed. The point of the text is that man has changed. Man has fallen. Man has rebelled. Man has turned from the upright manner in which he was created in. And because God has not changed, he will judge the world in righteousness. Amen. And amidst this impending judgment, amidst this, this increasing darkness of that day, there was a spark of light. There was, amidst the darkness that was ever increasing, there was a glimmer of hope. It is a man whose name means rest. As God is ready to pour out his justice upon the earth, there is one man that God has chosen in his mercy to show favor to. His name is Noah. Brothers and sisters, what do you know about Noah? What do you know of him? I believe that most might surmise the life of Noah as being merely the builder of the ark. But ask yourselves, why was Noah, out of all of the peoples of the world, chosen to be the builder of the ark? Is the fact that Noah built an ark the only thing that the scriptures testify concerning the life of Noah is that all the Bible has to say about Noah is that he built an ark. Although it is true that Noah was chosen by God to be the builder of the ark, there is much more to the life of Noah that can be said. And so much that we can learn from the life of Noah for our, our, our own lives. Ultimately, the account of Noah is intended to point us not to Noah, but to Christ. Today, we will consider just three points concerning the life of Noah, the man who walked with God. Number one, 
Noah was a righteous man. Number one, Noah was a righteous man. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man. In Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, we begin a new section, if you will, that runs all the way to the ninth chapter of the book of Genesis. Verse 9 begins the account of Noah. And, and if we had a gospel-centered focus each time we read the Bible, then we could say this is the gospel according to Noah. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. This heading, these are the generations, is found 11 times in the book of Genesis. We first saw this heading when we were given the account of God and creation. Genesis chapter 2 and verse 4. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth. When they were created in the day that the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. We then saw this heading for the second time in Genesis chapter 5 and verse 1. This is the book of the generations of Adam. And now for the third time, Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. This is the account or story of the life of Noah. And what does the scripture say about Noah? We are first introduced to this man who was of the godly line of Seth in the fifth chapter when his father Lamech. Seeking relief from the sin and from the painful toil of his hands. Names his son Rest. His name is Noah. His father Lamech. His father's father Methuselah. His father's father's father Enoch. And on and on. Passed on the gospel. That there would come. A skull-crushing seed of the woman who would destroy the works of Satan and bring to God's people rest. And this message was passed on from generation to generation. And it reached the ears by the grace of God of Noah. And just as a side note, who will pass on the gospel in your family? Who will be the one to pass on the gospel to the next generation in your life? They heard the message of Enoch and witnessed with their very own eyes Enoch's translation into the promised rest for those who walked with God. This gospel was passed on from generation to generation as the world that surrounded the faithful line of Enoch became of Seth became increasingly wicked. Sin waxed hotter. And the pronouncement of God upon fallen humanity was this. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth. That every inclination, every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. In contrast to the very good creation that came forth from the hand of God. Creation now fallen. Fallen from the moral integrity with which it once had. Fallen into a state of total depravity. And God has said he will judge the earth creation and all who dwell within are corrupted, corrupted with the sin that we have inherited from Adam. There is no one who does good. No, not one. There is no one who seeks after God. All have turned aside. All have gone their own ways. And amidst the darkness. Amidst the the total depravity of all men. The Lord in his grace. Drag 
one sinner from the grave and gives him life. But Noah, verse 8, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Once again, brothers and sisters, every man, every woman, every infant boy and every infant girl are born with the nature of sin. David said, from our mother's womb, we are sinners. And Noah was no different. Noah was a sinner. Noah was a sinner who received favor from God. Favor. What is favor? Favor is grace. Noah received grace from God. Grace was given to Noah. Brothers and sisters, not because of anything good in Noah. Not because of any good foreseen in the future of Noah. You hear that? God did not survey the land and amidst the darkness of humanity, find one in Noah who was seeking after him. No. Noah was given grace because God chose to give him grace in spite of his sin. There was nothing good, nothing righteous in Noah intrinsically. Let us not make the mistake of reading verse 9. Noah was a righteous man before reading and considering it. Apart from verse 8, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was not given grace because he was righteous. That would be reading the scriptures backwards and in reverse. It would be reading the scriptures with man-centered eyes rather than reading the scriptures with God-centered eyes. No, brothers and sisters, verse 8 comes before verse 9. And the very word grace forbids us for one moment of thinking that there was something in Noah that caused God to give him favor. No. Verse 8 comes before verse 9. What is grace? It is undeserved. It is unmerited. There was nothing righteous in Noah prior to the grace of God. Noah did not earn grace because grace cannot be earned. Noah was given grace. Noah was not blameless prior to the grace of God. Brothers and sisters, Noah did not walk with God prior to the grace of God. No one walks with God prior to the grace of God. We would not have verse 9 if we did not have verse 8. So then why did God give grace to Noah? One theologian said, we imagine in our unsanctified state... That God loves us for what we are intrinsically. Or for what we have done or for what we have become. But God does not love us because of that. Nor is he gracious to us because of that. On the contrary, listen. He loves us solely because, here's the big answer. Because he loves us. He is gracious to us because, because he is. Is that a sufficient answer for us? Why me? Why me of everyone that I know and love? Why am I the one given grace? Why am I the one that is professing faith? What is so good about me? There is nothing good about you. It is God. God who is good. Lest you focus your attention or lest you give yourself glory. God deserves all praise. God deserves all glory. It is God who has done this, not you. Don't ask yourself what you have done. You've done nothing. Don't ask yourself why me. 
fall on your knees before God and say to God, be the glory. This is what is taught consistently through the scriptures. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, God is telling the people of Israel the cause of his great love for them. And he says in Deuteronomy 7, 7, it was not because you were more in number than any of the other people that the Lord set his love upon you and shows you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. If it was about numbers. Like the world says it's about numbers. That God loves the biggest. That God loves the greatest. God says I chose you because you were the smallest. If I were I'm not loving you based upon the world's estimations. You are the smallest. But it is because here's the answer God gives. Why love? It is because the Lord loves you. And is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. Period. God does not love Israel because they were greater in number. But love them because he loved them. And his love, his character and being does not change. You hear that? I love you, God says, because I'm God. Not because of you. But because I do not change, because I am faithful, because God keeps his covenant. Brothers and sisters, who is the focus? God. Our first point, Noah was a righteous man. But he is only meant to point us to the righteous one, the Lord Jesus Christ. We are deserving of wrath. That's what we deserve. We are not deserving of grace. God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners. God loved us and sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ, to die for us. Noah did not have any righteousness of his own. But by grace, through faith, he was made righteous. Like Abraham, his descendants after him, he believed God and it was accounted, accredited to him as righteousness. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7, by faith, Noah warned by God's concerning events of yet unseen. In reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. But listen to this. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. By grace, through faith, Noah was a righteous man. The righteousness. Of Noah was not an occasional righteousness. It does not mean that Noah was now and again. Now and then righteous. He was made completely righteous. Before God. God viewed him as righteous. And the only way we could be. Completely viewed as righteous. Is if God. In his sight. Views us as righteous. Not man. But God. God granted Noah the garments of righteousness. God granted Noah the robe of righteousness because Noah believed God. Noah believed in the promise of God. Noah trusted in the promised skull-crushing seed of the woman. And it was God who gave Noah the faith to believe that. God covered him. And when God covers you, you are righteous. God placed all of Noah's sins. Where? Where did God place all of Noah's sin? Noah was a sinner. Where did those sins go? How was Noah saved? God placed the sins of Noah on Christ. God placed 
the sins of Noah on Christ. And Christ would one day bear those sins on the cross and would take the full punishment for Noah. Noah was justified and imputed the righteousness of Christ. Do you see that? Here was a man who believed God when no one else did. God was gracious to Noah. God gave Noah faith to believe the message of Enoch. God gave faith to Noah to believe the message of Lamech. God changed the heart of Noah, giving him faith to believe, graciously forgiving his sin, covering him with the righteousness of Christ, putting the sins of Noah on Christ. How is this possible? Brothers and sisters, the doctrine of imputed righteousness, it began before the cross. It is present at the flood. It was present when God told Adam. There will come a seed. And Adam's sins was placed were placed on that skull crushing seed of the woman. Did he know it was Jesus completely as we would later know? No, but he knew there would come one who would bear his sins and give him rest. Noah. Trusted in God and in the gospel promise of God. How are men saved throughout the ages? By believing the gospel. By believing the gospel. Noah began to live out then. Noah receives grace. Noah is declared righteous. Now listen, Noah then begins to live out that righteousness. You hear that? Imputed righteousness always results in practical righteousness. It leads to righteous living, which leads to our second point. Noah was blameless in his generation. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. The grace that was given to Noah and the faith that he professed was proved genuine. Listen, how? By the blameless conduct of his life. If righteousness describes Noah standing before God, God declares you are righteous. Blamelessness describes Noah's conduct before man. Let us be clear, brothers and sisters. Blameless does not mean sinless. Because only Christ has been sinless on the earth. Blameless means having integrity. It means to be whole. It means to be unblemished. It is a word that described animals that were being accepted for sacrifice. Spotless. Noah's life was lived in such a way that that his neighbors could not find fault with him. There was no noticeable blot on his character. Think about that. Within that wicked and corrupt generation, Noah, Noah kept himself unsullied, unspotted from the filth of the world that once was. The scriptures declared every inclination of the thoughts of of the hearts of man was only evil continually. And yet Noah did not join in the wickedness of that day, but lived in opposition to the wickedness of that day. He was a genuine believer. This is the witness of all true believers. They, we true believers, true believers are not those who profess Christ with their lips and live lives that denounce their profession of faith. Noah did not say that he loved God with his, with his lips and then in his heart and in his life deny 
the very thing he professed. No. Noah lived a life that was in concert, that was consistent, that was in step with his profession. It would have been very easy for Noah to to simply walk and talk in the same manner as the world around him. No one would have noticed. No one would have noticed. You are just as corrupt as everyone else. It would have been very easy for Noah to live like the world. If Noah had not found grace. You hear that? It would have been very easy for Noah to walk like the world, to talk like the world, to to join the world. If Noah had not received grace. If Noah had never been brought from death to life. But because he was brought from death to life, he echoes the words of the Apostle Paul. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. True faith will not allow you to continue to walk in darkness. The darkness that you were taken out of. True faith produces fruit in keeping with repentance. True faith will not be conformed to the world, but it is continually conformed to God's word. No matter how difficult God's word is. Yes, Lord, I know I am a sinner. I know that my my resistance of your word is my sin and not your word. Conform me to your word. Transform me by your word. If we have truly experienced the grace of God, it will have a profound impact on the way that we live and conduct our lives in this ever-increasing sinful world. We have been crucified with Christ. We no longer live, but Christ lives in us. And what does that mean? That Noah was blameless. His blameless conduct was evidence that he was a true partaker of the grace of God. He lived life among the wicked. And yet his life was lived sincere. He was upright in his heart. And as we will discuss in in just a moment, this man was blameless in a world where for 120 years, he called men to repent of their sins. He called men to escape the coming judgment of God. And he built for 120 years, not a boat. There's a boat out back. He built a structure unlike the world had never seen until the invention of steel. You see that? He was no doubt ridiculed by the wicked. He was no doubt mocked by the corrupt as being illogical and yet at the same time blameless in his generation. He may have been mocked, but he could not be accused of any wrongdoing. He did not sin alongside of the wicked. He was not sinless. But he was blameless. Without fault in speech. Think about that. As he is condemning the wicked. Without fault in his speech. As he is calling men to repent. Without fault in his speech. As he is each and every day constructing a massive structure. Without fault in his actions, he lived uncorrupted among the corrupted. But listen to this. 
that Noah was blameless in his generation. That's not the judgment from the wicked generation. Do you hear that? The wicked are not the one who are writing the scriptures and saying, yeah, Noah was a blameless guy. Are you with me there? Whose judgment is this? This is the judgment of God. Noah was blameless. Here's why this is important, because the wicked, they may have deemed Noah as a good man. Just as good as they were. You see that? Noah was not declared blameless by the wicked because the wicked will attempt to justify themselves as saying, Noah's righteous. I'm just as good as Noah. What makes Noah any different from me? Matter of fact, Noah's crazier than me. You see that big old thing he's building over there? You hear those things he's screaming out to every, everybody every single day? He seems like a pretty crazy man. I'm normal compared to Noah. Amen. When we say wicked, when we say corrupt, when we say uh, uh, every inclination of the thoughts of man's heart, when God says these things, it does not mean that people are running around just stabbing and killing every single person. There were people who were relatively normal in their sin. And yet, in comparison to crazy preacher of righteousness building this massive structure, Noah, they would say, I'm just as good as Noah. And yet God declares Noah blameless. And not this person. Man will always try to justify himself in his own eyes. The wicked would say, yes, he's kind. He says hello to me in the morning. He takes out the trash. He helps me take out the trash. He looks out after my home when I'm not home. He's a good man. But he ain't no different than me. The truth is that we could safely say. That the people of Noah's day hated Noah. Why? Again, Hebrews 11, 7 tells us that the construction, that that through the construction, imagine the construction of this. There is nothing built in all of the world like what Noah is doing. The Bible says in Hebrews 11, through the construction of the ark, Noah condemned the world. Each and every day for 120 years. There's not a person in here who's 120 years old. We can't even think of living that. Some of us don't even want to live that long. And for 120 years, listen, the echoing sound of Noah hammering nails into that great massive structure, into that gopher wood, every echoing hammer in that land was echoing in the ears of the people the judgment that Noah preached every single day. Noah is preaching, turn from your sins, run from the wrath of God, come to to God, believe in the skull-crushing seed of the woman, trust in Christ. He hear the message of his voice. And when he's not preaching, Noah is hammering, constructing. And for those who are not hearing Noah's voice are hearing the hammer nails banging upon that gopher wood. And what are they reminded of? Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. Judgment is coming. Turn from your sin. Turn from your sin. How would you feel? You don't like when there are construction in your neighborhood. And they're not even telling you anything. 
What are you doing, Noah? Oh, nothing. Was that the response of Noah? Noah, what are you building? A little something. Did Noah keep silent so that he might not offend anyone? Did Noah say, I will just live a good life and hopefully my good conduct will be sufficient enough for my witness for God? No. Brothers and sisters, he was a preacher of righteousness. What are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark because God is going to judge you for your sin if you do not repent. Okay, Noah, have a good day. For 120 years, Noah did not, Noah and his hammer did not keep silent. Can the truly saved be kept silent? Can the truly saved avoid talking about God and his word? Noah was a benefactor of the grace of God pulled from death to life. Can you keep silent about that? Will you keep silent about that? He was made righteous by faith in God, lived blameless among the world, called the wicked to repent of the escape and escape the coming wrath. Why? Because he escaped the coming wrath. Martin Luther said, how can we as mere beggars who have received bread not tell others where to find bread? No, brothers and sisters. Noah was blameless, not by the estimation of the wicked, but by God who rescued him by grace. Noah lived blameless in his generation. Grace always leads to righteous living. And if there is no righteous living, then there has been no grace. And what about you, professors of faith? How is your life lived? Who is the standard? Huh? Well, you say, well, my neighbor's like me. Are they believers? Have you shared the gospel with them? You are a true professor of faith. When was the last time you had a God-glorifying conversation with either a believer or non-believer? Not a gossiping conversation. Not a, man, I really hated that sermon last Sunday. But how, how is the word of God transforming you and challenging every single one of the things that you thought you knew and believed. Remember, when God's word goes forth, especially from this pulpit, it is more often not God's problem or God who has the problem. It's us who has the problem. Amen. You may not want to say that very, very loudly right now, but you need to. But you need to. When was the last time you called someone not to complain to them, not because you were upset with them, but that's that you might ask, how might I pray for you? When was the last time you opened your Bible with your family and worshiped God? When was the last time you weren't offended again by a Lord's Day Sabbath sermon, but you were convicted to change? What does this amount to? How does someone live that kind of life? It leads to our third point, and finally, Noah walked with God. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 9, <clears throat> Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Brothers and sisters, Noah received grace, <clears throat> which produced a right living before God. And how is a right living before God sustained? 
was talking to one of the brothers earlier who reminded me of a sermon that I preached a, a while ago on, on persevering, on pushing through. How does someone persevere? How does someone push through? How is, is a, a right, blameless life sustained? How does one stand against the world, the flesh, and the devil? How does one stand in opposition to the daily challenges of living in a fallen world? Against the temptations of sin, against the lure, the daily lure of, of, of glorifying yourself. My brothers and sisters, the answer is walk with God. Walk with God. Noah walked with God. This walk should not be or should be distinguished from other Old Testament phrases, which which is such as walking before God or walking after God. Walking with God is something far more intimate. It describes the the closest personal communion with God as if walking side by side with God. Walking with God speaks of, of offering up your life to God as if you relied on him for every moment and for every breath of your life. There was intimacy between Noah and God. There was a true fellowship and communion that Noah had with God that was similar to that which Noah's grand great grandfather Enoch had with God. By faith, Enoch walked with God and then he was no more. Huh? Enoch placed his faith in the promised skull-crushing seed of the woman and believed that, that he, the skull-crushing seed of the woman, would bring rest to his people. And Enoch did not allow his, his eyes to be fixed on that which was seen, a world becoming increasingly evil. But he fixed his eyes on that which was unseen, holding tightly to God's word and holding tightly to God's unchanging character. Noah walked with God. In that same manner, brothers and sisters, all who trust in Christ alone walk with God. In that manner, his walk was not a periodic walk. His walk with God was not a random walk. It was not a, a random reading of scriptures. Listen to this. Can such a walk be considered truly walking with God? It's not merely a morning walk. Can such a walk truly be considered walking with God? No. Brothers and sisters, it was a morning walk. It was an afternoon walk. It was an evening walk with God. To walk with God is to realize his presence and to appropriate him as your Lord and Savior again and again, everywhere at all times, continually throughout your day, especially on his day, the Lord's day. To walk with God was described by the minor prophets as the way that the priests prepared themselves, listen, to stand before God in the holy of holies. To walk with God indicates the deepest obedience. The life of faith and obedience is compared to walking with God. Because this life of faith begins with a step and then continues as a walk. As believers, we are commanded to walk. We are commanded to walk in love. Walk in the spirit. Walk as children of the light. Walk carefully. We walk one step at a time, one day at a time, as we are led by God in his word that directs us in his will. Noah walked with God. Noah walked obediently before the Lord. I'm going to say that again slowly. Noah walked 
obediently before the Lord, with the Lord. Obedience. We think that walking and communion is simply being holed up in a room somewhere and just praying to God all day long. Not so. Not so. Because true evidence of your walking with God is that his word regulates your life and how you walk. It is not, I'm going to pray and then I'm going to live however I deem. It is, I am going to commune with God in prayer and I am going to seek out his word because he instructs me on how I am to walk. And obedience has become a difficult word in, in church today for people to hear. You hear that? As if for a pastor or an elder to call people to walk in obedience is some kind of legalism. You with me? We automatically begin to cry out when, when a pastor or an elder calls you to God's word and to obey it. We automatically cry out, legalism. Works righteousness. I'm saved by faith. As am I. And what did James call true faith? Living faith. Not dead faith. What is dead faith? It is saying, see what I said or hear what I said? And James said, living faith is, watch what I do. And it's not, watch me, watch me, watch me. It's, here is God's word and I will walk by it. I will walk according to it. So when people, we people, when pastors call the people of God to observe the Lord's day, not legalism, obedience. When we call people to tithe as God has commanded, not work salvation, obedience. When we encourage and and call out, guide your wives, disciple your children, Not earning grace. Obedience. And our problem is not not God's word. It's us. We are the problem. Let me just say this as a side note. There's no adjusting. I know that there is adjusting in our own hearts and our own minds. But you're either going to do it or you're not. You don't adjust to a new job by saying, you know what? I'll, I'll go uh, once or twice a week. I got to get adjusted to it, sir. I'll find someone else who can get it more adjusted very quickly. They're going to show up every day on time. We show more respect for worldly employers than we do for our God and his word. We show more reverence for worldly employers and their rules and their regulations than God and his word and his regulations. It is calling people, the people of God, to walk like the people of God. And we hate for anybody to tell us what to do, especially when it's coming from God through the mouth of a pastor. We are so easily offended by God's word, so easily offended by his commands. We're so easily exasperated at the same time we confess our great love for him. One of the major messages of the scripture is that we must not only be hearers of God's word, but doers of God's word. Noah heard God's word and Noah obeyed it. What did he do? 
We'll talk about this in a moment. And it wasn't easy for Noah. It was not as though living in Noah's day was a bed of ease. And living in our day is way too hard. As if Noah didn't face the temptations that you and I face today. The rest of the world was rebelling against God. Do you get that? Every intention, evil, continually corrupted, filled with violence. And yet Noah in that world walks with God. He was walking with God in obedience and blameless before God in the process. We say, if you only knew my life, (laughs) if you only knew my family, my job, my school, then you would know how hard it is for me to obey, to walk with Christ. Dear ones, and I say this ever so gently, anyone who has ever desired to walk with God has always had to do so against the opposition of the world, the flesh and the devil. Noah and his family, in opposition to the world, Abraham and his family in opposition to the world. Joseph in opposition to Egypt. Moses in opposition to Egypt. Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael, and on and on and on throughout the scriptures. We, the people of God, walk with God in spite of the opposition that will no doubt come against you. Walk with God. You will never not walk with God until the consummation comes, until the the new heavens and the new earth. You will never not walk with God Without opposition, it's going to be difficult. Jesus never said, in this world, you will have no problems. Quite the contrary. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. Noah, listen to this. Noah walked with God. And he did not have but one associate to walk with him. You hear that? Not one person. I I see some of you sitting next to your significant others. The Bible never says that his wife was blameless. The Bible never says that his wife or his children were blameless, that his children were righteous. Noah was righteous. And it was because of Noah that they were saved physically. He did not have one person to join him in worship. You know how hard that is? Some of you who are married to people who are not walking with you in Christ. He walked with God and yet alone. You will either say, I will walk with God and I will not walk with the world or you will not. Noah lived blameless in a world alone and did not crumble under it. And what great encouragement this is. You and I can walk in obedience to God. And we can have the confidence to know that while we walk, he is near us. Let that be a great source of strength in time of trouble. Let that be a great source of encouragement to know that his grace is sufficient for you. Noah was blameless. He was righteous. He walked with God. This is the evidence of truly one has been saved. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. He could not ignore the plight of men. He could not stand by while the rest of the world was going to hell. One cannot walk with God and feel no compassion upon those who are still under the wrath of God. You've got to say something. 
Noah was compelled to evangelize to that unbelieving world. And he exhorted men and women about their sin, calling them to righteousness of God, to turn away from judgment. Noah called that wicked generation to repent, to trust in the skull-crushing seed of the woman. For 120 years, all the while ignored. For those who go to hungry and the homeless, for those who are faithfully evangelizing, 120 years, Louis. You haven't even touched a fraction of what he did. This is encouragement. This is not for us to, to, to I'm, I'm not in any way, praise God for those who, this is to say, keep pressing on. How is he, listen to this, scoffed at, mocked at, ridiculed for his faith, walked with God, not building a boat, building a box the size of a football field and a half. Nowhere near water. Imagine the sight. Imagine the mockery. They are respectful to us when we go to the hungry and the homeless, for the most part. There's a fight every now and then. Noah endured. Noah walked with God, continued to preach faith, no matter what that generation said. Listen, no matter what generation, no matter what culture, preaching righteousness apart from self-righteousness is never a message that is well received by the masses. To tell the wicked, you're wicked. To tell the rebels, you're a rebel. Will never cause people to flock to your message. They'll run from you. And they may even try to silence you. Noah did this. Let me look at Louis for a second. Noah did this for 120 years. Listen, brother. And not one convert. Not one person came to Christ. Did that stop him from preaching? No. Can you imagine preaching righteousness while the world is continuing to get worse and worse? Imagine the temptation to say, I'm done with this. No one's believing. How big is the boat? It's probably big enough to save a lot of people. And yet only eight get aboard. And the seven are only aboard because of the one. Noah walked with God and he did so alone. We may stand alone, but we stand alone with God and on his word. And we fall in in a great line of men and women of God who stood alone, but stood with God and on his word. Athanasius stood alone against the world with God and on his word. William Tyndale stood alone with God and on his word. John Hus stood alone. With God and on his word. John Wycliffe stood alone with God and on his word. Martin Luther stood alone with God and on his word. John Knox stood alone with God and on his word. And in their day, they were ridiculed, persecuted, threatened with excommunication, exiled, death. And yet they stood because they believed God, walked with God, and trusted his word. And Noah did that for 120 Standing alone in an ungodly culture. And the reason he was able to do that. How? How? Because he walked with God. Because he walked with God. Even when everybody else would not. He walked with God. I asked you. What is the remedy? Against standing against the world, the flesh and the devil. Against standing against. Or what is the remedy? uh, To standing against worldliness. It is walking with God. 
there's a true intimate relationship with God. It is communing with God on a, day, on a daily basis. The remedy against worldliness is a personal, ongoing, vital relationship with God. It's not, I need to have another Bible study throughout the week at the church. You're getting a good Bible study right now. You're getting a lot of God's word right now. Take this and carry this throughout the rest of the week. Stay in your word. Don't wait for the next Bible study. Stay in your word. What are you reading right now? What are you studying right now? What are you listening to right now? On our Facebook page, there are things that are being posted every every week at least of resources that are helpful for you as a church. Take advantage of them. Noah walked with God. But ultimately, Noah was not the rescuer. We'll find out later that Noah is a sinner. That Noah produces other sinners. He would ultimately be saved, be used to save the human race from extinction, but he would not be used to save the human race from their, from the sin of their souls. Noah is ultimately pointing us to Christ. Christ who was not made righteous. Christ who is the righteous. Christ who was also a preacher of righteousness, who called men to repent and believe in him. Christ, who was perfectly blameless in his obedience to the law of God. He failed not. He sinned not. And Christ walked with God in his incarnation and returned to that perfect communion when he was glorified at the resurrection. After the resurrection. Noah pointed to Christ, who is our rescuer. Noah, or Christ, is able to save our souls. From another judgment that is coming. A judgment that will come by fire. Christ is our Noah. Have you placed your faith in him? Imagine for 120 years there were those who heard the message of Noah. Day after day after day. And did not believe. Will you be like them? I heard the story of a man... Who came up to a famous preacher, uh, not a famous preacher, a very good theologian and said to him, I listened to your tape and it's because of your tape that the Lord brought me to faith. And the theologian said, well, praise be to God. The young man walked away and his father came up and he said, did he tell you the story? And the, the theologian said, yes, he told me the story. Did he tell you about the tape? Yes, he told me about the tape. Did he tell you the whole story? The theologian said, well, what do you mean the whole story? My son, listen to your tape. 29 consecutive days. And then on the 30th day, he repented of his sin. And turned to Christ. 29 days, might I add, unmoved. Unconvinced. Unyielding and unrepentant. And then on the 30th day heard. Turn from the sins. Believe in Christ. 
Maybe you have heard this message over and over again. Maybe today is your 30th day. Would you live once and for all turn from your sins and trust in Christ? Maybe you will need if God tarries another 120 years. And brother and sister, let me tell you, friend, by the way, from your sin today. Trust in Christ today.